0: We're continuing our road trip through the book of Acts here during the month of May, and today we'll be stopping in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. We're going to stop in the city of Joppa with the disciple Peter. Before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will. For all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 36. Now in Joppa there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lido was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Each year on Mother's Day weekend in the little town of Greer, South Carolina, the town hosts the Greer Family Festival. It's sort of like the Greer's version of springtime Tallahassee, except there's no uh, parade of any kind. Instead, on Saturday and Sunday, artisans and artists and vendors of all kinds come and line the street, trade street, right there in downtown Greer and would sell all kinds of arts and and knickknacks and things of all kinds to the people there in the city of Greer. I loved it because I could find a Mother's Day present every year at the Greer Family Festival. There was everything you can think of. People would take homemade things and and make clothes out of yarn and sew things together. They would make paintings and and use things like pine cones and seashells and turn them into earrings and all kinds of sorts of things. They would take license plates and recycle them and and turn them into picture frames, those kind of things. You've probably been to vending places like that before. There were also stages where there was music going on. Some of the local bands were really good. Some of them were really loud, but that's all. But it was good. It was festive. It was fun, and I loved it. And then there was, of course, all kinds of fried food that you can think of. I could go and get a corn dog and french fries and cotton candy, anything you wanted to. It was just a, a great way to celebrate Mother's Day weekend. My father would usually give me $10, and on that Saturday morning, I would run down to Trade Street where all those vendors were, and I would find some little knickknack for about $5 for my mom. That was her Mother's Day present, usually a, an ornament made out of a pine cone or something like that. And then I'd take the other $5, and I would go, you know, get a funnel cake or something like that. It was lots of fun. But the, the festival always culminated on the second day, on Sunday, where I, I suppose the Chamber of Commerce, Commerce, commerce would announce who is mother of the year in the city of Greer. Now to be mother of the year you had to be nominated and the way you were nominated is someone had to write a letter or write an essay and explain why this person deserved to be mother of the year. Well one year I decided I would nominate my mother. After all, She was my mother of the year, and I thought maybe she would like to win a trophy instead of one of those little ornaments that I got her every year. I wrote with my little notebook paper and number two pencil, I wrote all the wonderful things that my mother did for me, all the ways that she helped me with my homework, all the ways that she let me stay up late past my bedtime, and all the times that she helped me and took up for me when my big brother was picking on me, and all the ways that she cheered for me at my basketball games and drove me to swimming lessons, all the times that she loved me and cared for me and helped me, all the birthday cakes she baked for me and the Halloween costumes that she sewed for me. And I, I wrote with as beautiful penmanship as a third grader could come up with, and I just knew she was gonna win. Well, she didn't win. I went back to my father and he gave me $5 and I went and got, I think, a, a monkey that was made out of worn socks or something like that, that someone was selling at the family festival. But she was always Mother of the Year in my book. Now, I know not everybody has a mother like I do, but we all need people like that in our lives. We need people like that who cheer for us when we need someone to cheer for us. People who lift us up when we're down. People who help us believe in ourselves when we don't believe in ourselves. We need people who love us, who care for us, who surround us, who strengthen us, who treat us like family. And by that definition, mothers come in all shapes and sizes, all forms and varieties. In fact, there are lots of mothers that I've found in my church and in my school, people who have loved me and cared me and loved me into being. Sunday school teachers can be our mothers when they give us donuts and remind us that the church is a safe place to come. Or our regular school teachers who teach us our ABCs and our 123s and also teach us to believe in ourselves. We can be whatever we want to be. Or our aunts and our uncles and our grandparents, they can be our mothers when they take care of us while our parents are at work. Or our other neighbors who love us and care for us and, and treat us like we're family. That's what the church is called to do, to treat other people like family. And we all need people like that in our lives. And Tabitha was one of those people. Tabitha, who lived in the city of Joppa, she was a person just like that. She cared for people who did not have family. Tabitha was known all throughout the city. She was a person known who worked hard and spent her time and her money and energy to care for the least of these, to care for those widows who did not have family to take care of them herself. She was known in all parts of the city. That's why some parts of the city where they spoke Aramaic, they called her Tabitha. But there were other parts of the city where they spoke Greek and they called her Dorcas because, you see, she was known everywhere. People on both sides of the train tracks knew who she was. She was a person who cared for the least of these. And she was also, the passage tells us, a disciple. A disciple just like Peter, just like all those disciples that followed Jesus around. She was a disciple, and so I guarantee you, whether you, heard, whether you spoke Aramaic or whether you spoke Greek, Tabitha told you about Jesus. She shared with you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ by her love and her care and her support. And so no wonder when Tabitha died, the community was heartbroken. People from everywhere were brokenhearted. They knew something had to be done. What were we going to do to honor this woman who meant so much to us? And they heard that there was another disciple not too far away, another disciple named Peter, who we all know so well. Maybe Peter can do something. So they sent away for Peter to come and see if there was anything he could do to help Tabitha and do something he did. He went up to the room where she lay in that bed dead, and he called her up and raised her from the dead. Miraculous. Now, In the book of Acts, we have lots of little vignettes like this, lots of little stories where the disciples, the apostles, they uh, call on the name of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit are able to perform these incredible miracles and they show us beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is still with the disciples even though Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven. And there's not a one of us that wouldn't love to figure out how Peter did that. Maybe we too could be disciples like that and call on the Spirit to help us in our time of need. But I have a feeling that if Peter were here, he would tell us, the disciple in this passage that you need to imitate is not me. The disciple in this passage you need to imitate is Tabitha. Because you see, Tabitha has the Holy Spirit too. Tabitha has the Holy Spirit that calls on her to care for the least of these to reach down and care for those widows and orphans who need help. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's what Tabitha did. That's why we know Tabitha was a mother. She may not have had any children. There were no children mentioned in the passage, but she was a mother to all of those widows who needed someone to care for her. That's what it means to be a disciple, and that's what it means to be a church to reach out to those people in our community who have no family, no one caring for them, and say, I'll be your family. I'll take care of you. I'll lift you up when you're down. One of my favorite stories written by Pastor Michael Linville in his, his wonderful book called Good News from North Haven. He tells a story one day after worship, he had finishing cleaning up after worship, and he saw a young woman sitting in the front pew. It was a, a woman named Mildred, and she was crying in the front pew after worship was over. He went down and spoke to her and found out that she was crying because her daughter, Tina, who was 18 years old, had just had a baby and was scared to get the baby baptized. She was scared because Tina had, had met a boy and they, she had gotten pregnant, but as soon as she got pregnant, that boy left town, and, and now she was all on her own with this little baby. She wanted to get the baby baptized, but she was so scared that in that moment it would become obvious and evident to everybody that, that she was all alone, that her, the father of the baby was nowhere to be found, and she just couldn't do that in front of all the people in her little town. Michael talked to Mildred and Michael talked to Tina and finally convinced them that that it was okay, that it would be all right, that we needed to get this little baby baptized. And so on that Sunday, that worship Sunday, when the time came to to call the family forward, he called Tina and and asked her to come forward and bring that little child with her. And she shaked a little bit as she was coming up, nervous to stand up in front of that whole crowd, knowing that in a few moments Michael was going to ask all the other family in the congregation to stand up and no one would stand. Finally they got to that point in the liturgy and Michael thought he would just race through it so nobody would notice. If there's any other family here please rise where you are. But before he could race through it he noticed some shuffling down on the front pew. A man named Angus McDowell who had been a member for a long time and had known Mildred and known Tina when she was a child. He stood up right there where he was and his wife Minnie stood up as well. And then those confirmation teachers who had taught Tina when she was in confirmation, they were in the back and they stood up too. And then there were some new members who stood in the back and they they didn't know this was not a part of the tradition. They just stood up right where they were. And finally one by one by one by one, everybody in the congregation was standing saying, this is our family. This is our child. She belongs to us. The baby belongs to us. Tabitha reached out to the widows and the orphans and said, you belong to me, you're one of mine, I'm going to take care of you. And she spent her life's work doing the things that we are called to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. To paraphrase Henry Nowen, Nowen says that we seem to be preparing our lives for questions that we're never going to be asked. Questions like, how many friends do you have? How much money do you have? How much power and influence do you have? But Christ will never ask us those questions. The one question that we need to worry about is, what did you do for the least of these? Tabitha answers that question. She loved them and cared for them, provided for them, sewed clothes together for them so that they had everything they needed. She loved them like a disciple loved them. And so when Peter got into that house and saw her laying dead in that bed, he was overwhelmed overwhelmed by all the people who were standing there crying with tears in their eyes, holding up these clothes that Tabitha had made for them. These cloaks and these coats that she had sewed together by hand, they were holding them up saying, look what she did for me. Look how she made a difference in my life. I have to believe Peter was so overwhelmed. What a wonderful woman this is. But as I read that part of the passage, there was something else that came to my mind. While they were showing those cloaks to Peter, I wondered, did they ever show those coats and cloaks to Tabitha? When she was alive, did they ever hold those cloaks up to her and say, thank you, thank you for what you did for me, thank you for making a difference for me, thank you for making me a part of your family. Because you see, that's a part of discipleship too. Gratitude. Gratitude for the people who loved us into being. Gratitude for the people who made us who we are. That's an example of the Holy Spirit at work when we are thankful to God for those mothers and those Tabithas in our lives. And that gratitude is inspiring. It's inspiring when we say thank you. It inspires other people to be Tabithas, too. I have to confess to you, gratitude is probably the part of discipleship that I need to work on the most. I take so much for granted in my life. There's so many people, like my mom and my dad and my parents and my aunts and my uncles and my Sunday school teachers and my school teachers, who deserved to hear a thank you from me. There's some of you out there that are probably still waiting by your mailbox for a thank you note from me. Maybe you are. I'm not good at saying thank you, and that's something I need to do better. Because that's what it means to be a disciple, to say thank you to the Tabithas who changed our lives. Take a moment and just think about who those people are for you. Those people in your lives who Loved you into being and called you family. Think about who they are. Have you told them thank you? It makes a difference when you do. It inspires all of us to keep trying to pe- keep being Tabitha as best as we possibly can. You may have heard this story before, it's a story that's been circling around the internet recently. It's a story about a man named Sir Nicholas Winton, who was born in the early 1900s in England. During the, the Just before leading up to World War II, he was an investment banker and he had lots of good friends, and as World War II was approaching and as the Germans were invading other places throughout uh, the continent, he realized he had to do something to try to help these Jewish children who were uh, were sooner or later going to be led to their death and so he and his friends worked together they recruited people all over England all over Scotland to 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 be foster parents for children from the continent and he found ways to bring these children over so that they weren't left and left to suffer the pains and death of the Holocaust when his life was when the World War II was over he he saved some 660 children from dying in the Holocaust But many people forgot his story. They forgot it. Time went by, 50 years went on. He wasn't the kind of person who would brag about it until one day, 1985, he and his wife decided to go to see the production of a television show in London. It was a television show called That's Life. It was sort of like the Regis and Kathy Lee of of London. A a funny show, a fun show. Little did Sir Nicholas know his wife had called ahead and said, Guess what? We're coming and I want you to know about my husband. I want you to know his story. And so they heard the story from his wife and decided to make the whole show about him, to tell his story of all the sacrifice he made, of all the wonderful things he had done, so that people could know and hear the story of this man who saved so many children's lives. Of course, he was surprised when he discovered the show was about him, but that was not the biggest surprise. The biggest surprise was at the end of the show when the hosts of the show looked out at the audience and said, Now, if any of you owe your life to Sir Nicholas Winton, please stand. And every person in the audience stood up. They were all holding pictures of themselves as children, pointing to that picture and saying, This was me. You saved me. You made a difference for me. You changed my life. And those widows were holding up their clothes, saying, you helped me. You saved me. You helped me, Tabitha. I wouldn't be here without you. Those widows got a second chance to say thank you. But you and I may not get a second chance. And that's why we have Mother's Day and Father's Day and every day. It's our chance to say thank you. Thank you to those people who loved us into being. Thank you to those people who were mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and teachers, people who loved us and would not leave us alone. So this Mother's Day, think about that person that you were just thinking about, and if you can, tell them thank you. But don't stop there. Then go be a Tabitha for someone else. Because that's the kind of disciple that we need. To the glory of God. Amen.